Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Shankelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And we were just talking about how to model system reliability, which is of itself a very broad topic. So, well, it it is. And that's why I asked you about it, because I figured you'd fill in all the gaps that I don't know. (laughs) But I got a question yesterday. It was, you know, we were talking about, you know, the basic premise of my, the webinar I was doing was, um, just because you have a chamber doesn't mean you always have to use it kind of thing. It's, right. yeah. You know, d- try to avoid picking the techniques with the ways that you already do or already know just because only because that's what you already know. You Sometimes you need to do something different in order to get the right information. And so one of the questions was, well, how do you go about estimating? And they actually use the word prediction, which I will not use. How do you estimate reliability early in a program? And I expanded the the question to, well, how do you estimate reliability? And I immediately thought of, uh, I don't know, bunches of them. I don't know. There's lots of ways to do it. And I thought, well, that might make a good topic because it's, it, there, the idea is, is that there may be one right way to do it for that particular circumstance. The issue is, is that the circumstance regularly is different in different modes, parts of time, and even during the development of a product. Early estimates are for a purpose that's slightly different to set of decisions than are we ready to launch. And there's different risk profiles, there's different, the circumstance changes. And what I'm suggesting is, and what the question was about was, well, how do you, how do you know what the range of topics are or, or ways to do this without having done them all? And says, well, that's what books and podcasts and webinars are for, you know, <laughs> be aware of all these things and then go learn the ones you need to do. So the basic question though, Chris was, was how many ways can you estimate reliability? Well, one of the recent courses I was doing, we talked, we, we were on the top talking about the concept of reliability allocation Mm-hmm. Uh, and that immediately, that was immediately following another discussion we had about testing to measure reliability versus testing to improve reliability. We're talking about halt testing and robustness testing, where essentially you're trying to push your thing to and beyond its limits in order to be able to um, understand what its weak points are. And the reason why you want to do that is to then work out what you need to do to make it more reliable. And when you do, those tests well, you tend to very quickly get a good understanding of what those things you need to do to improve reliability are, especially very early when those changes are uh, quick, usually very cheap and, mm-hmm. and uh, very simple. But the price you pay is that you can't use those tests to help you estimate reliability. And so one of the people I was speaking to said, well, when we design stuff, we don't want to waste a single moment uh, doing anything but robustness testing. We want to keep, whether a new component or new subsystem, we want to make sure that we keep trying to push it to and beyond its limits to try and work out what the weak, weak, weak points are. And we want to keep doing that up until the last second before the design freeze or, or whatever the right term is for that organization. And well, it's, Yeah, it sounds like the build test fix. Just 
find the faults and weaknesses and make it stronger, make it better. That's an approach that's valid. Well, I think build build test fix encapsulates lots of things. Build test fix on one on one end can be build a full working prototype, see how it works, and uh, see how it fails, and then go back and design those faults out of the system. Like you know, sort well, of military well, that's one way. library growth. Yeah, that's and I've seen that work, and others do breadboards, and they say, "Well, do I have the functionality?" They built a breadboard, they built a mockup, they and now we do it in CAD, or we do it in spice modeling, or we do it in simulations, and that's still a yeah. build test fix approach in my mind. It is still build test fix, but I'd argue those approaches are very different. Um, like one, let's if you move away from electronics, if you if you do a familiar, for example, or fault tree analysis, and work out what those few components are that are going to keep you up at night, you then might do it. Quick build quick mock-ups of those components to try and you work focus out it there. on the areas where you have the questions. And that's if right. you do, but you can also go with completely analytical. You never build a prototype you until you finish it. And, and but then FMEAs and simulations and all kinds of analytical type tools come into play. But I think what you and I often talk about is there's a blend of those things. There's right. let's find those vital few things and go work on those. Because we have limited resources. And if we can right. focus where those resources go, all the better. Well, so the, the guy I was who was talking to me, he, he was more on uh, he was referring to build test fix in the form of that exploratory testing, pushing beyond its limits mm -hmm. or that, those things that are keep you up at night versus the build test fix approach where you build uh, a close to final working prototype and then test it in use conditions and et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. Both are build test fix, but I'd argue one is a lot more proactive than the other. Yep. And he was saying that we don't want to do anything that's reactive. We don't want to, we just want to try and do the very proactive testing and we don't want to measure reliability using through testing at least because we want to make sure testing's focused on that. Mm -hmm. I went, okay, that's cool. But so does, does it mean reliability allocation is not going to apply to your system? Because he was responsible for one part of the system. He said, from well, from my perspective, no. Okay, that's cool. But and I spoke to another t uh, student who was from the same organization who I knew from previous discussions was involved in dealing with supplies. I said to her, do you need to put reliability targets and specifications on the documentation you release to your suppliers for their components? She said, absolutely, I do. I go, okay. Well, where do you get that? So <laughs> yeah. Now, you can't just assume that this guy's subsystem component is going to be 100% reliable. Because he doesn't do testing, or he doesn't do, or doesn't, doesn't want measure, to measure it. reliability. Doesn't right. measure it. Yeah, there are plenty of scenarios where you can build very reliable stuff using an approach that doesn't have much measuring at all. So that's of itself is not a criticism. But what do you do? And so one thing you can do is essentially have an educated guess based on whatever you mm -hmm. want to base it on. You spoof it up though, saying it's engineering judgment. Nothing wrong with engineering judgment. If we had to prove everything before we decided to move that forward in the design, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It scares yeah. pr uh, process sellers. But if you had to, if, you, if engineering judgment wasn't a thing you could use, nothing would get built. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It would. But the idea is, is that we walk into the room, you know, with, our experience, our history, our our background, our uh, training, and and as you're going through the design, it's a good design engineer, mechanical, electrical software will go. This is the part that 
I'm most worried about. This is the right. most likely area to fail. And well, how often will it fail? Well, maybe once every hundred years. Okay. Well, that's an estimate right there. <laughs> you know, right. how many other of these things keeping you awake at night? All right. Well, all right. It's one in every 10 years then. All right. There's, we got a, a rough guess. Will this last for five years without any failures? Well, you know, all right. Well, what's the probability it lasts? And I think you did a webinar on Bayesian stuff. You were, I remember the example you gave was that you walk into the classroom or the conference room, whatever, and there's usually a screen nailed to the wall someplace. And you say, what's the size of that screen? Mm-hmm. Write it down. Just make a guess. And and it invariably came as an average of those guesses was really, really close. Well, it wasn't the, it was the posterior, but yeah, I take your point. It was when we worked out to combine those guesses, it was millimeter perfect. <laughs> that deep coin yeah. fry. It was ridiculous how accurate these guesses were. Yeah, but the and, other there's, there's, and there's ways to formalize that process, and depending on your circumstance, but it's engineering judgment can go a long way to get you your first estimates and ongoing estimates as you go through the program. That, right, there's nothing wrong with that. That's well, one. the other thing. People are talking about. Oh, I want to predict reliability. Do you want to actually think about it first? Or you just want a number. If you want to think about it, if if we go back to that dude who was just saying, I I want to do robustness testing, let's call it that, technically Mm -hmm. build test fix, but I want to convey the sort of exploratory, proactive nature of what he was suggesting, which two thumbs up from me, by the way, if that's what he decided, (laughs) um, good for for him. But um, we and we didn't go in, we didn't tear down his decision making process to work if that was the right thing, but you know, he sounded he sounded um informed when he said, This is why we do it. we say, okay, well, is your warranty reliability? Let's pick a number. Is it 99.5%? And he says, well, I don't know. We'll say, well, you need to give us a figure. We need to have a figure because poor old uh, Sarah over here, she needs to put, she needs to create, come up with a figure for her supplies based on your figure. And so we had this, you know, that conundrum we talked, you were sort of alluding to where engineers sometimes don't want to put their name next to a figure. Yeah. Where is that? Get, but, right. That's that. But if you say, well, is 99.5% reasonable? Is that something that's feasible? Is that something you can work? I, I do think I could work towards that. Yes, I do, but I can't guarantee it. I think, let's just you know, use your approach, nine times out of 10, I think that'd be good. Okay. Well, let's just say that represents too much uncertainty. Well, what we can do is then assume that your reliability is going to be 99.25% and see what that see what impact that has on the number Sarah has to put in her specification mm-hmm. for our supplies. Now we're thinking about it. Now we're talking about it. Um, and if Sarah says, oh, you know what, that, that only represents a 2% increase in terms of the cost I'll anticipate for that more reliable thing, maybe that of itself is, okay, done. Move on, you know? Yeah. Now, but Or that 2% is bust the budget. And now you go back to, you know, your buddy over doing robustness going, all right, you need to be 99, you know, something else. You need to be a lot better. Right. Like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. This is, well, (laughs) where's your budget coming from to pay for her getting the parts? I think what I'm, I suppose, trying to say is that I think too many people say, well, how do we predict how we analyze uh, reliability in these scenarios like this? And, our, and the point is, you first need to ask yourself, have we thought about how we're going to get there? Because until you do, you just may as well use, to use your phrase, have a random number generator for the 
number you're going to oh, come yeah. up with. Well, yeah, th- this particular person was also doing MTBF stuff. So it was, oh, and they wanted to do a prediction. So there's, to me, an uh, uh, engineering judgment or just an educated guess is way more valuable than doing a parts gun prediction because it's actually real. But I, I get your point is that if you're going to go about measuring or estimating or predicting reliability, what are you going to use it for? What what do you need it for? What's it going to influence? What is it actually going to do? And invariably in, in many programs, not all, is at some point the program manager looks at you and says, all right, guys, is this uh, right, team, is this product reliable enough? Can we ship it? Will we make our reliability targets? Will we hit our warranty figures? Will our customers, you know, have a product that actually works for them? And if that's a question that's coming up, well, there's not a lot of ways around not estimating it at some point to some degree. Right. And, and then part of that discussion is, well, well, what's measuring it adequately? Is it, do we just run a test and is the test real or bogus or is it useful or not? Will it give us a, appropriate information? But testing is not the only way to estimate reliability. Engineering judgments, another way. Uh, yeah. simulations and physics of failure modeling and uh, do a, that apportionment idea of the block diagram, for example, and get a range of different estimates for all the various subsystems and components you got and and tally that up. Uh, there's, I don't know, there's uh, field data. I forgot all about that one, you know? Right. The product's not unique. <laughs> Let's go get some real data. Let's go get third-party data. Let's do competitor teardowns and look at what their warranty reports are saying. Um, the The issue is, is that there's two steps, and I fully agree with you, Chris, is that first is, what do, you, what do you need it for? Who needs this information and to what degree? And if you're going to do a bogus, no-failures test with three samples and you know 1,000 hours at 85C, and you your product has no known failure mechanisms that's related to temperature. Yeah, you'll pass, but you've learned nothing. So the thinking part goes into, well, what do you need the estimate for? And then how true, how accurate, true, robust does that estimate actually need to be? And mm-hmm. in that spectrum, engineering judgment may well be the right way to go. And that's all oh, you yeah. need. And the other the end of it lot- is- Sorry, you go. Yeah, the other end of it is that no, this is, you know, make or break the bank here. If we need to know it really, really well before we release this thing, well, then we need a thousand samples and run them for in a in a meaningful accelerated test of some sort or a rational test that actually gives us a, a really robust estimate of the actual use condition type failures and stuff. But there's a huge spectrum of in between there of that you need to think through is what do you really need? And that goes more to your point is what are you trying to do? I think a lot of the time people say, well, I needed the number. Yeah, um, so usually, for what? <laughs> but it usually comes from, if they're reaching out to to you or anybody else, it usually comes from, in my opinion, at least, or experience, I should say, sort of this this context where, yeah, I don't want to bother the people designing it. Or if I do bother them, they're going to tell me they don't know. So I now need to go and find this stuff out by myself. Yeah. Random number uh, generated up. Yeah. Yep. 23. 
There's 42, a, whatever. Who is the cartoon? Is like, so you want me to randomly generate an estimate for this that you're going to base the business decisions on? And the boss goes, right. yep, that's right. <laughs> like, okay, I doubt that. But but it, it's it's part of the process is that there's there are, are convenient ways that we've done it day in and day out. There's stuff that's in textbooks that looks sexy and we can do all by ourselves. Uh, there's yet reliability estimate is just one example is whatever question you're facing there's probably a dozen or more ways that you can go about solving that problem and part of being an engineer is thinking through well all right what is the problem what am i trying to solve and why do we need to solve this right that's the first step and then it's well what options are available and some might be free and easy. Others might take you, you know, two, three years of really hard work and thousands of dollars of assets to make it happen. It's better off thinking it through before you get started, before you show up and go, well, I think it's good. And the boss says, no, 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 I need it. You know, the PhD thesis level work on this thing. Well, why didn't you tell me that two years ago? Right. And it's just... Um... Yeah, I suppose, and this is a consistent thing for a lot of our webinar, our podcast, I should say. Is if you're not prepared to think about it, why are you asking me to? <laughs> on your behalf, you know. Yeah. Well, there's that. Yeah. No, I, I ran into that early in my career. Is I was trying to come up with. I I was doing a sample size, right? I I needed to run in a, a, a task. I was trying to estimate something for this population of this product we're doing, and it was a destructive task. So I I had to think through. Well, how many samples do I need? And it, it was one of the first instances where I ran into, well, the confidence of it. Well, how how sure do I need to be that the sample represents the population or is related to that in some form or fashion? And so I went to my boss and said, well, what confidence should we use on this? How important is this to you? And he says, well, it's not important at all. So then why am I doing it? <laughs> no, no, no. I need a number. I don't. I just need a number. Go run a few samples and get it. And I, so I went and did the math. And if I ran three samples, um, I could tell you it's 90% reliable with a 10% confidence, and which means that it's probably not anywhere near that number. We just don't know. It kind of gives me an unknown result. Well, I need a better result than that. And then it went back and forth. And then it was, well, I need 38 samples. Well, I don't have 38 samples. That's too expensive. Well, we're going to give up something we're going to give a precision or what level of estimate we're doing. And so the goal was, I don't know, remember what the number was at that time, but let's say it was 95% over two years. And we didn't have enough samples to show that with a reasonable surety or, or results that we were going to trust. And he says, well, if we, if I know that it's better than 90%, I'm okay to say, we'll ship it. Okay. okay. Then I need fewer samples. And then we're off and running. And, Right. It tied to the decision and it was a balance of how much risk this person wanted to take. And yet I still run into people that say, well, you get one sample and if it passes, I'm good. It's like, okay. And then it's usually a discussion of how much risk they're taking. But Well, that's just cultural. That's where, that's where people, you know, they are not genuinely interested in the reliability of the thing. They just want to be able to, to for their own confidence um, in which is usually misplaced. Their own ability to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. How do they sleep at night? Well, they come up with some arbitrarily simple thing for it to pass or say, look, it did reliability testing. Oh, what do we do? Oh, we we kicked the tires on one sample and it didn't catch fire. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Ship it. Off we go. Yeah. So I mean, it, it comes down if you you, you, you got to be prepared to think about it, and it's a, it's a it's a two way street. I mean, if you want to if you want to predict what the reliability is, well, it, you got to think about well that that dude who says I want to do robustness testing, and nothing else, he might be a hundred percent on the money, but if we got any doubt that that's going to be give you a consistent reliability performance, then then Sarah, who's in part, who's, who's dealing with the third parties, she needs to have a say to say, and where she might say, you know what, it's not going to be that much harder for me to get more reliable components and embed them in the design. It will cost slightly more, but it's not exorbitant. So, yeah, and that we can starts we, the trade off. That starts the discussion, which is I right. Think, but yeah, but if she says we only have one supplier and that one component, and we're pretty certain the reliability of that component is X, it means that if you don't meet our best guess, we are not going to make a profit on this product. Well, then that's a discussion you need to have. Yep. And that's where, like you said, you go back to the dude who wants to do nothing but robustness testing and they say, sorry, buddy, um, we your target is this and we need to be able to get confidence beyond kicking the tires and making sure it doesn't catch fire to ensure that you want to meet, meet that goal. Um, and then it becomes a lot less about predicting reliability. It's all about actions to ensure you you meet the reliability target of your system as dictated by your business case. Yep. 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 Now it's, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the phrases. Is it from you, Chris, is you can't check your mm. brain at the door. You can't. So, <laughs> sounds like you. I think, I think we just mentioned that to say that's a, a trademarkable phrase. I feels like we, you said, I'd, I'd put my finger at you for that phrase as well. Maybe it's just because it's something that's evolved. It's inspired, but it's one of the things that it, it's not just picking or how do you estimate reliability. It's lots of different parts of reliability engineering. But we've mentioned business cases. We mentioned warranty. We mentioned customer satisfaction. We mentioned, you know, internally for the program, your project you're working on, there's budgets and costs and trade-offs. And there's other groups and silos within your organization are impacted by how you do what you're doing. And uh, in so there's, you got to step back and think through it. And how does this work? And what do what do we really need to do? And what problem are we trying to solve? That's part of engineering. Um, but it, that was a, a question that came up yesterday during a webinar, and I thought, oh, that's an interesting question. We got to we got to talk about that and, and dive into it a little, little bit. Now I got to remember go back to the logs and see who asked that question, so I can send them a link to the podcast. Um, see if I can make that happen. But if you've got a question, if you're and if something on your mind or a topic you'd like us to talk about, or or your what are the 28 ways to estimate reliability for your circumstance, I'd be happy to brainstorm with you a little bit, see what's possible. Let us know. Head over to uh, ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. A couple ways to get in touch with us there. Chris and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and our about pages. So plenty of ways to, for you to get in touch. And we certainly do appreciate it when we when we hear from our listeners. Absolutely. Right. I don't, I'm not going to explore how many ways to sign off on a podcast other than saying, Hey, I'll talk to you later, Chris. Likewise, Fred. Always <laughs> okay. a pleasure. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening to speaking of reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.